Greetings in the name of the Lord. What a good thing to be here on campus with you on this great day in the life of Nazarene Bible College. This is really, really significant. And I'm, I'm glad just to be uh, the first to congratulate all of you on uh, an achievement that obviously the whole institution has been working on for years. This is significant, extremely significant. So, congratulations, and thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. It is a real privilege to be here with all of you. When I look out at all of you, I um, feel hope for the future of the church. To look in your faces and to see whom God has called into ministry, that there are people like you, and also where I am called to serve at the seminary, who have responded to God's call and have stepped out, often, many of you, by faith, as God has led you to prepare yourself for ministry. What a great thing to be here with you. When I think about who you are and how you are responding to God's call, this is where I want to be is with you and with the people at the seminary, with people who are responding in obedience to God's call in their life. It's a privilege to be here with you. It's, uh, it's good to see an old friend. Not that you're old. Karen Arambidi, it's great to be with you again. My goodness, this goes back to when I was a sophomore in high school. And uh, thinking back about that, also Virgil Rayburn and Son Rich, Back, he was the director of children's camp when I was in the fourth grade. And it's good to have Virgil here. He was a pastor for many years in the Southern California district. And for others of you, it's good to be here among friends. If you have your Bibles, oh, I should say before this, and from the seminary, you know, if I didn't say this, I would really hear it. Um, greetings from Marty Butler. Do, do you remember him? <laughs> that's right, who? <laughs> I, I want you to know he's whipping us into shape. You, I know that's a surprise to you. But, but we've been cleaning out closets, and there's a new refrigerator policy, and we, 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 had, a, we had a day where all of the staff, it was, they did nothing else but clean out their files. So it was a fire hazard to have all of that extra paper sitting around in Marty's view. And so we're, actually, we're a, we're a cleaner ship because Marty Butler has come to town. And we want to thank you for sending him our direction. So <laughs> greetings from Marty Butler. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2. Starting with verse 11. Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Boy, listen to those words words, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, the animosity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new person, one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. Lord, we give you thanks. Thanks for this privilege of being together, opening your word. We pray in these few minutes together that you would speak to us your words from your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It was my privilege to pastor a multi-congregational church, actually two multi-congregational churches, for a number of years, downtown Los Angeles, the, the church that is the, the first church of the Nazarene. Just not just the first church of the Nazarene in Los Angeles, it's the first church of the Nazarene, the first church ever to have the name Church of the Nazarene. It was my privilege to pastor there. I was on staff for six and a half years and pastored there for another 14 and a half, L.A. first. And over the years, that developed into a multi-congregational church, English, Spanish, Korean, Filipino congregations, four congregations, one church. And then uh, after being there for a number of years, I, I went to Point Loma to teach, and some of us started a new church, across on the other side of San Diego, where uh, certainly the people who are um, visiting San Diego, it's the part of San Diego they, they wouldn't see. Uh, high immigrant neighborhood, um, started a church, uh, and today it's six congregations, English, Spanish, Cambodian, Haitian, Sudanese, and Samoan, some of the oppressed people of the world it's a wonderful thing as we gather on Sunday mornings to hear in the different parts of the building the echoes of praise to God in different languages. It's, it's really something. I had an opportunity um, to sit one day over lunch with one of the leaders of the Cambodian congregation. His name is Sue Key. Always wanted to meet a man named Sue. Sue Key. And I realized that I had uh, an opportunity that I was sitting with someone who may have gone through what's commonly called the killing fields. The time in the 70s when um, most people estimate that about a third of the population of Cambodia died in the war as the Khmer Rouge under Pol Pot, the communist dictator, uh, tried to bring the country under his control and there was a terrible civil war and, uh, and about, some people suggest about two million people died in just those few short years. And I wondered if he had been through any of that. And so I asked him and and I didn't know it at the time, but uh, he, he had been and, and uh, through many of those experiences and, and had never told his story, not publicly anyway. And this was the first time he was ever telling his story, and I was there to hear his story. And so hesitatingly, he began to talk about 
what happened when the Khmer Rouge came to his village and the leaders of the village disappeared and were never seen again. He was a tailor and they thought that he might be useful in this new society that they were creating. And so he was spared. He said, um, they took all of our children out of the home. He said, uh, there were no more schools. He said, the children were put to, to work all day long and they were, their job was to prepare the fertilizer for the rice paddies. He said, all of the rest of us worked in the, in the rice fields, the rice paddies, all day long. It was grueling work said they didn't give us much to eat. Our daily allowance of food was one cup of rice per person, per day. He said, terrible conditions. He said on two different occasions, he gathered as many of his family together, as many of his children and his wife, and they ran into the jungle to try and find some other place where they could live, but there was no place to go. And he said in those days when they ran, they, they hid in holes in the ground and they lived off the bark off trees. And in both cases, they were captured and brought back and disciplined and put back to work. And as, as he tells this story, at this point he stops and he hesitates. And uh, there's a tear in his eye. And then he says, my 13-year-old girl and my 8-year-old girl, he said, they died. They died. And he goes on with his story and he talks about how when the Civil War was over, he ended up being the leader of the village and he led the people to a refugee camp. Uh, and then ultimately, some of them were able to come to the United States and start a new life. I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a holiness preacher. I, I also um, am a sociologist. And uh, when I think sociologically about the possibilities of a church that would bring together people from different backgrounds, maybe who've been on different sides of the fence, who maybe where there was some history, maybe some walls that separated them. You know, people like people who lived in a Cambodian village and Khmer Rouge soldiers. I think as a sociologist that it really wouldn't be a very good idea to put those folks together in one church. You know, as a holiness preacher and as a preacher of the gospel, I, I think well, wouldn't it be great news if we heard that there were people who used to be Khmer Rouge soldiers who came to faith in Christ? Wouldn't that be great news? But if they actually showed up at the church where they had persecuted, put to death, been so oppressive, would they be welcome? Would that be a good idea? As a sociologist, I'd have to tell you that's not a very good idea. You just wouldn't want to put those folks together in the same church. Those walls are too high. The history's too long. The pain and the grief and the sorrow is just too deep. 
you just wouldn't want to go there. This is a newspaper clipping. Clip this out of the paper. It says, Khmer Rouge for Christ. See? This is good news, isn't it? This is telling about people who were part of the Khmer Rouge, the soldiers, that there appears to be a revival in Cambodia these days among people who were Pol Pot soldiers back in the 70s. In fact, here, here listen to this. Among the converts was Kain Kek Yev, the notorious director of the Tual Sling prison under the old regime. Up to 16,000 Cambodians were brutally tortured and killed at Tual Sling. I'm really glad to hear this. But you know, as a sociologist, I'd have to say, you just wouldn't want to put those folks together in the same church. That's just not a good idea. Bad plan. In Ephesians chapter 2, moving from being a sociologist to a preacher of the gospel, Paul wants to talk to us about this for a minute. And the first three verses are some of the most uh, descriptive verses of um, a person who is lost in sin. You wouldn't want to spend a lot of time in these verses. Listen, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. You know, there's just not a lot of inspiration in those first three verses pretty much a description of people who are in sin, without hope and without God in the world. That's what this is. Those three verses, however, are followed, wouldn't you know it, by verse 4. And the next two words in my Bible, verse 4, there's a turning point here. So it turns from a description of people who are lost in their sins to, listen, but they were lost in their sins, without God, without hope in the world, sons and daughters of the prince of evil. But God, but God. Don't you love those words? But God. Do you understand what that means in your life? But God. You were lost in your sins, but thanks be to God, but God. And then in these next verses, we have some of the most wonderful descriptions of the grace of God any place in the New Testament where Paul talks about God's grace. What a wonderful thing. Now, in some ways, this is, Paul is setting us up for what he really wants to talk about in this chapter. As he moves on. Now, usually, when I've looked at this passage and preached from this passage, and perhaps you have too, I didn't feel like I really needed to go much further. There was this such a strong basis for a message here that I could just preach the grace of God and how God's grace has come to each one of us. And individually we stand before the cross and give thanks to God for what God has done. But Paul doesn't stop there. He, uh, he has some more that he wants to talk to us about. In those verses that we read earlier, there is a parallel discussion. And if you look at those verses, it talks about alienation 
is not only alienation from God, but it is alienation from one another. And in this passage, Paul talks about two groups of people. He talks about the Jews, he talks about the Gentiles. He talks about the distance, the alienation, the, the animosity, the enmity, the separation that existed between these two groups. Uh, don't have to spend a lot of time going back over all of that that you know about how the Jews really didn't want anything to do with Gentiles. And if they went into the marketplace where they might have just walked on the same dirt that somebody who was a Gentile had walked on, that they had to ritually purify themselves in the temple. Well, that's, that's prejudice, I suppose, isn't it? And in that separation, here there is this same turning that we see at the beginning of the chapter. Individually, we were lost in our sins, but God. Now look here at verse 13. There were two groups of people, Jews and Gentiles, but now in Christ Jesus. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off, not only from Christ, but from one another, you who, who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. This is not just the peace that we have with Jesus Christ. It is the peace that comes to us as children of God with one another. So that we begin to look at this, and we, if you read on, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Apparently, this is a reference probably to the temple. When you think of the temple, the Jewish temple, it is built as a series of walls. Architecturally, it is walls. It's the Holy of Holy, the Holy of Holies, where only the chief priest can go only on the Day of Atonement. After that, you go out a little further, and there's the temple where the priests go and, and where the, the, the Jewish men enter. And outside of that is a courtyard where the women are. And clear out beyond that, out beyond the farthest wall, the Gentiles. So it's, it's a series of walls. But listen to this. Listen to this. Now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. We have this picture of the Holy Spirit of God who sees these walls, walls that are social walls, walls that divide people by social class, by ethnicity, by history. And the Holy Spirit of God who brings us together smashes through those walls breaks down the barrier of the dividing wall so that God does something brand new in Christ Jesus on the cross. And it's called the church. And what he establishes is something the world doesn't know and the world doesn't understand. It's a new social order, if you will. It's a new way of thinking about how we relate to one another. And it's something that God does in Christ Jesus. Look, here it says, he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the animosity, the distance, the enmity, the anger, the history. You know, when you stand before the cross, you know this picture. When you stand before the cross, when you sing those great hymns, when you are in your private devotions, when you're praying before God, and you remember what God has done for you in Christ Jesus, and you say, thank you, Lord, for saving me, for forgiving me. 
This passage says, when we stand before the cross, we aren't alone. We look around and there are others who stand next to us. And they are people from every language and every tribe. They are people from every social class. They are people who the world would classify as enemies of one another. But because of what God has done in Christ Jesus, we stand together and this ground before the cross is level. And here we stand and we look and here, here is Suki. And look next to him, standing next to him, is that converted director of that Cambodian prison. Could that be? Could that be? And I think there before the cross, often my hymn is at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. But as I look around, the hymn changes, and it becomes some through the water, some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood. Some through great sorrow, but God gives a song in the night season and all the day long. And we are the church. There's a friend of mine. Perhaps you know him. He's from Haiti, Nazarene. He uh, came to Mount Vernon to go to college. Came on to the seminary, graduated went on to Drew University where he received his PhD in historical theology, Wesleyan theology. Applied, he and his wife and their family, to be missionaries in the Church of Nazarene. Because they were French-speaking, they were assigned to French-speaking Africa. And they actually were assigned to Rwanda right after the genocide. Do you remember the genocide in Rwanda? The Hutus and the Tutsis. And in just a matter of three months, the Hutus and the Tutsis were at war with one another, and there were 800,000 people who died in three months. Because he had been assigned to Rwanda, I, uh, I asked him, his name is Dumergier, Dumergier Charles. I said, Dumergier, um, as the missionary, I just want to know, is the work of the church in Nazarene, is it among the Hutus or is it among the Tutsis? And he said, oh, it's both. And I said, well, <clears throat> did you work with the, the Hutu district and the Tutsu district? He said, oh, no, it's just, just one district. They're all together in one district. And I said, well, you know, thinking as a sociologist, like this isn't really a very good idea. Well, how did that work? Like when you had your, you know, your district meetings and you know, you've got the Hutus and the Tutsis together. Um, like, like, for instance, a, a district pastor's retreat. Uh, how did that work? He said, oh, it's, it's pretty simple. He said, as a missionary, I had the privilege of deciding who roomed with whom. And I just put a Hutu together with a Tutsi and through the week, at the end of the week, they came to understand that they were brothers in Christ Jesus. You see, 
We're the church. We're the church. And those social categories that the world would want to impose on us, we reject because of what God has done through Christ Jesus on the cross. When I was in Los Angeles, I had the privilege of being there, privilege, <laughs> of being there when the riots, L.A. riots. Any of you hear about the L.A. riots? Just... And in that 48-hour period, there were uh, five, over 5,000 fires that burned in L.A. And the uh, church where I was pastoring, L.A. first, was in the middle of a riot zone. And um, most of the area around us was completely destroyed. There were, within a mile of the church, we estimated 100 businesses that were burned to the ground, and everything else was completely looted. It was the world that we had known was destroyed. We gathered, as the riots stopped on Friday afternoon, we gathered the staff together in the different congregations, the English, Spanish, Korean, and Filipino congregations, and we, we talked about maybe it was better perhaps just to call as many people as we could and tell them, don't come, stay home. It's too dangerous. This is, it's, it's unstable, uh, dangerous out there. Stay home. But, but we thought about it some more and thought, well, let's, let's open the doors, see who comes. So on Sunday morning, we, um, we opened the doors. We'd already planned a multi-congregational service that day, plus a church that we had planted in the neighborhood, Exposition Park, a Central American church that had lost its building, come to find out, in the riots. It had been destroyed, burned to the ground. So we waited to see who would come. And it was a picture that is sort of a picture of what I think is a picture of the final day. You know that passage in Peter that talks about the whole earth destroyed by fire, that, those apocalyptic pictures? Here was the city as we looked out, and here the, the smoke is still billowing up through the ruins, and out of the ruins from the Central American community, here come the people of God. And from the Korean community, the church is assembling. And from the Filipino and the African-American and from all over, all over, they came until the church was filled. As you may remember, in the riots, there was a great deal of animosity, anger, distance between the African-Americans and the Koreans. Halfway through the service, our uh, pastor of our Korean congregation uh, and the Assistant pastor of the English-speaking congregation, Alex, who is African-American. They walked across the platform and met in the middle and embraced. You see, we're the church. We're the church. I am, um, often when we would gather for our multi-congregational worship services, I'd go through this little exercise where I would read the names of countries that I knew there were people who were present who were from those countries in one of the four congregations. And then I'd have them stand uh, when the country was red in which they were born. You'd have to get a picture of this particular Sunday morning. You've got a multi-congregational choir of people from the English, Spanish, Korean, and Filipino congregations, a multi-congregational worship team. And uh, the exercise would look a little like this. Let's say... 
India. John and Mary from India stand up. Ethiopia, a family that we helped to sponsor from Ethiopia, stands up. Bolivia, talented young musician from Bolivia. Nigeria, one of our staff members, Jolly Bioku. And Samson, who came to us from the rescue mission, great big Samson who loves Jesus. They stand up. China, a very old, retired Nazarene pastor and his wife, Chinese, who had pastored in China before the communist takeover of China. Back here, they stand up. Cambodia, a family stands. Mexico, about 40 people stand. Guatemala, 110 people stand up. Vietnam, Indonesia, Thailand, South Africa, Barbados, Guyana, Cuba, Belize, 50 people stand. Philippines, 60 people stand. Korea, 75 people stand. Uganda, Costa Rica, Argentina, Hong Kong, Holland, Honduras, Nicaragua, 80 people stand. El Salvador, 120 people stand. United States of America, a few stragglers stand up. And the choir now begins to sing. And as everyone stands, in a dozen different languages, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Oh, but when we got to the last verse, Standing together when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. And we know we're the church. Thanks be to God. <laughs>